0: Well, uh, hey everybody! Welcome to episode twenty, 20 of the Pause Up podcast. This is such a cool milestone to hit episode twenty of the podcast when this when this series began just last November. But we're super grateful to everyone who's watching this on our Twitter or on Lemon City's uh, YouTube and Facebook. And we have and we have a super awesome guest uh, making some Pause Up podcast history. The first professional athlete we have had on the show welcome to the show Raja Bell how are you doing Raja i'm doing well it's
1: an honor fellas thanks for having me i mean first um mm-hmm. former pro athlete and
0: 20th anniversary episode man like i appreciate yeah. it. two two crazy milestones yeah. In one episode. And, of course, my good friend Kevin Barral and, and Jonathan Mayer. Johnny, you're on this show so many times. You're basically a, a co-host as well. Let's let's not. Come
2: just put me on. Just put me on. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So, <laughs> so we have an awesome episode today. Talking a bit of basketball. And, and of course, perfect timing to talk a bit of um, both collegiate and professional as we are just uh, in the midst of an, of an amazing NBA playoff Um stretch here but before we get to that let, let, let's just talk a bit Raja about about your time uh growing up before you even um made the trip to FIU so let's go back as far as we can all right growing yeah. up in Miami just what originally got you into the sport of basketball
1: man so I my dad was a PE coach um and I lived in the Virgin Islands until I was about 12 years old and mm. So I played every sport and I tagged along with all of his teams and, you know, I was a little kid on the bus or shooting jump shots at halftime in the game. So I, I, you know, I always played, but my main sport was tennis in the Virgin Islands. Um, okay. And so when I moved here in the eighth grade, I moved to Miami. Um, there, there just weren't as many outlets to play tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was going to Ponce Del Leon middle school um, yeah. down in Coral Gables and, You know, basketball was the sport. I loved football, but they didn't have it in school, and I didn't know where to go find it. And so more kids that I I was hanging out with at that time were were hooping. And Mm -hmm. so it really served two purposes. Like, I, I, I loved it, and it was a way for me to make friends quick because I was new, and, you know, all those kids had gone to elementary school together. So the fact that I was decent at it and could hold my own helped me Helped me become, uh, you know, I guess more popular in a, in a real new, in a new setting for me. So, and then I figured out I was pretty good at it. So I lived in the gym over at University of Miami. It was the old CSR, um, wow. with a lot of those old Hurricane greats that they were winning national championships. They were like big brothers. They just beat me up and 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 pushed me around. I'd hop in a game here and there, but that kind of fostered my love for it.
0: Hmm. So, so you mentioned the moment that you felt like you you knew that you were you were good at this sport, but what was the moment in your life that you knew that basketball was going to be something that you think you could go pro at, that that you felt like you were going to make waves in, in the big leagues? You
1: no, know, that didn't happen until my senior year at FIU. Um, okay. I, I just knew that I wanted to play and I loved it. And, you know, it was it was what I woke up every morning wanting to do, and that had to be something. So as long as I was going to be able to do it, I would do it. But I really didn't think I was – well, I didn't know that I was a pro. I didn't know that that was gonna be an avenue for me until we played in an Arizona, University of Arizona Christmas tournament. It was us, Penn State, Arizona, and uh, some other cupcake for for Arizona. And we Man. beat Penn State. Yeah, I mean, that's what it was, right? Like they brought us out there, like kind of lam- lambs to the slaughter for for Penn State. And then they were supposed to see Arizona, but we beat Penn State pretty good. And then we saw Arizona and we, we played the heck out of them. Um, I, I hate to say that we got cheated, but we didn't, we didn't get the Ferris whistle that night. But anyway, after, after uh, a scout from the Atlanta Hawks, Pete Babcock came up, and he told me that he was there to see a lot of people. You know, I wasn't on that list, but he thought that uh, of all of them there, you know, over the weekend, I had the best showing, and he thought I could be a pro. And so that that was the first time I'd ever heard it. It was the first time I had really ever seriously considered it, other than just being a dream, uh, as a possibility.
0: Mm, you know, it, that sounds. Uh, excuse me, Kevin. I just wanted to bring up something that the uh, the way you just described that reminded me a lot of of this interesting piece that that Johnny found earlier today. Oh, look at this! <laughs> it's from a media pro- program back in the day. Let's let's do a quick read here. Uh, a team leader who possesses outstanding abilities on the court, very competitive with a no nonsense attitude. Oh, and he has a knack for scoring and and great support Savvy.
1: Wow. Wow. First of all, I mean, that, that's pretty is a pretty exciting explanation of what I was. But did you see the mustache? <laughs> yes. Like the I mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, you guys, you guys aren't of age yet, right? And this is pretty free-flowing pod, right? You'll get to that age where you're gonna look back. I'm at that age, and you're like, man, what were you doing, man? Like, well, what's going on? That, that, I
2: it took me some time to find that. I went to some an archives place in, like in the library and mm. they gave me this whole box of like all media guys. I'm looking through it. I see that year. I, I flip through it. I see I see you, 20 year old the Carlos Arroyo as an 18 year old. I'm like, mm. I gotta pick of this. Like no probably nobody has probably like a coach from like 20 years ago. I'm like, I've right. you know? Well it
0: it's hard to find a good media 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 journal now nowadays. Like yeah. it's hard, but yeah, that was super cool. Blast in the past. Anyway, go. Anyway, go on, Kevin. I I know you were about to about to spit heat.
3: Yeah, Raja. So you know, some people might not know this, but you didn't begin your career with FIU. In fact, you began playing for Boston University, the the Terriers, where you averaged twelve point nine points per game, four point two rebounds, one point five assists, and just a good field, you know, field goal percentage. Or yeah, talk to us just about the decision to go to Boston originally, and then you know what kind of made you decide that it's time to transfer over to to FIU
1: yeah um so you know oddly enough none of the Florida schools really recruited me I guess they didn't see it in me coming out of high school so you know I have had a really good senior season and my junior year I garnered the attention of a lot of mid-major programs um, like the BUs of the world they found me up at five-star um in 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 uh Caryopolis, p up robert morris college and so they were in on me and then i had a really good offensive senior year i think i averaged close to 28 a game and so you know bigger schools like lsu and georgetown and temple started coming around but i just felt really comfortable in my wheelhouse with people that were familiar with me that had been with me you know kind of before the explosion and and really i wanted to play right away so mm-hmm it didn't appeal to me to go somewhere and sit for two years maybe and let my body get right. I was like 180 pounds, six, five. So to play in the sec, I needed 20 pounds of muscle. That doesn't come overnight. Um, and so BU was, was great. I loved coach Brown. Uh, I had a great recruiting visit and loved all all the guys they are still lifelong friends of mine. And so, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it felt like a, a great fit and it was for a couple of years. I mean, I was, you know, rookie of the year up there and, and, uh, you know, I got to play in the Olympic Festival coming out of there as, as one of the top you know, freshmen and, and seniors in the country at the time, kind of cultivating the, the pool of talent for the U.S. Olympic team. I, uh, you know, I was, I don't know, second team all, all conference. My second year, things were going well. But I just felt like there was kind of a regulator on what I was going to be kind of allowed to do there, the freedom I had offensively. We had an excellent four-man. He was a year ahead of me. His name was Tunji Awajobi, and he had been rookie of the year before me. Um, my my second year, he was first team. I was second team. And he was going to be there for the next, you know, two years. And I, I really wanted a little bit more freedom. Um, and there had been a coaching change from when I was recruiting. And it, it, Coach Wolf and I are, are good friends now, but we didn't always see eye to eye either. So all of that took place. And then Shaky Rodriguez got the FIU job, and I had played mm-hmm. for school at uh, you know at some in some summer situations in AAU and. I ran into him in the old farm ed league, which was a pro-am at FIU. And, you know, he, he grabbed me in the gym and he said, hey, man, I don't know what you got going on. I, I, at the time, I had like New Mexico State and some other schools I was interested in. He said, but we're going to try to be Loyola Marymount. We're going to try to lead the country in scoring. And I want to put the ball in your hands and, and see what you can do. And th- at that point, I said, as a 19-year-old, that was music to my ears, man. And, and I knew what Shake was about, and he told me that we had uh, – Damian McKnight was transferring home from Penn State. Um, you know, Darius Cook uh, was coming from uh, from Juco. He had played at, at a Miami Northwestern, Sam Watts, all guys I was familiar with having played against and, and knew him in high school. And my buddy Gene Durkak was already great. You know, so there was a lot of talent there, and I felt pretty comfortable with what Shake was trying to do
2: adding to that, Viraja, how cool was it for you, comfortability factor of, you know, being down in South Florida, you know, playing right close to home. And, uh, you know, obviously, anything thing you added with playing with the great Shaky Rodriguez, who you played with before and having that style probably helped you a little bit more in your your college play. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, be, being home wound up being being great for me. Um, you know, at, at eight, 17, 18, 19, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I was the most buttoned up human being. Like I had a lot going on. And so being a little closer to home, Was helpful for me, Um, you know. Shake as a as a mentor, as a coach, as um, you know, just his general philosophy and style were were paramount to my success as a player. You know, as I got older and I moved on to the NBA, because you know, while some of that was in me and it was just DNA and it was how I played, I was always kind of made to feel. And I said this at Shakey's retirement, uh, like or his his induction into the Miami High Hall of Fame. Like I was always made to feel ashamed for that. Like people tried to, you know, my little bit of crazy was just a little too crazy for some people, you know. And shake was the first person that really kind of, you know, made me feel like that was good and it could be even useful in certain scenarios and kind of let unlock me like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, without that, I would have never been able to to, to reach the levels uh, and do the things that I was able to do.
2: And the last thing to hit on, you know, Roger, talked about the experience at FIU. Probably got to dive into like the nuts, you know, about your time there, but talk about how attractive FIU was and really thinking about it at that time. You're talking about, you know, being one of those teams that play a high pace and moving the ball. How about talk more about the detail of FIU and really playing at a high paced offense that really set the tone for kind of in majors nowadays.
1: Yeah, sure. We were, um, I mean, I think my first year there, we were a top 20 team in the country in terms of, uh, in terms of pace and points scored and so you know obviously you know when when, when you have when you have a bunch of guys uh, like myself and and uh, like the names I mentioned that that all probably feel like for one reason or another they were overlooked in some instances and you know we've all went to multiple schools like there are chips on our shoulders and you know shaky always had that chip on his shoulder and we scheduled like that so we went out and we tried to find anyone who would play us. We'd go to Alabama. We'd go to Michigan. We went to Maryland. We were at Villanova, Notre Dame. Um, Miami wouldn't play us like multiple years in a row. They refused to play us. It wasn't in their best interest. Um, but that all spoke to, to me. It spoke to other people on our team and we kind of comported ourselves like that. We were, we were out there, you know, with, with, something to prove. And so, you know, we played our, I think our slogan was RPG 40, which was like relentless pressure over 40 minutes is what we had on the back of our jerseys. And, you know, we lifted our butts off with, with Lou Denine. and when Lou wasn't around shaky would have us in gold's gym in the summer, you know, as the head coach and the strength and conditioning coach, we, we ran like animals. Like we, we were a really, really tough and finely tuned bunch. And it was fun to play on those teams. Like we knocked a, we knocked off a lot of people that that thought we were going to be a uh, easy work, if you will.
0: Hmm. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about the 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 actual transition to FIU. When you first joined the Panthers, um, and when and when you first stepped foot in the in the MMC campus, what were some of the biggest differences between what you immediately saw there and what you experienced in Boston University that struck out to you the most? Well, I mean, it
1: was warm again. That was good. <laughs> BU, I mean, I, we had a blizzard of 94. It was one of the biggest blizzards on record at the time. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I was happy to be back in the warm weather, but honestly, um, you know, and I'd have to talk about the FIU now to to kind of explain like what it's it's got a lot going on. There are a lot of buildings, there there's there's mm-hmm. so much stuff to do. There are a lot of options. Back then, it was more of a commuter situation. So, yeah. Well, we didn't have dorms at the time when I got there. There was one built while I was there. Um, all we had in terms of all on-campus housing was the apartments right there off of that 107th right there. So, yep. so um, you know, it was basically just your, your athletes and and a few randoms in in those apartments. So, you know, Boston University is right on Commonwealth Avenue in the heart of Boston. Fenway Park is right around the block. The Charles River sits right behind it. And so – I, I'm gonna. When I got to FIU, um, I was like, when the lights went out and everyone left campus, is when I really remember it. Like, when the campus stopped buzzing because of school, mm. what the heck are we gonna do? Like, what? <laughs> There's something going on. But um, it was a super tight knit community of, of athletes. Uh, a lot of them, uh, soccer players, volleyball players, baseball players, basketball players, track participants, people like that are still in my circle of friends to this day because. That's who we had when the lights went out at FIU, you know. So my, my initial thought was like, man, I, I don't know if there's going to be enough to get into, but we quickly figured it out. At the time, was, there was no class on Friday. So on Thursday night, we were done for the week, and That was pretty cool, too. We could be down on South Beach or wherever we wanted to be.
0: Was there seriously no class on Friday?
1: There were no
0: classes on
1: Friday. So Thursday night, you know, you got your work done you know maybe you had practice later on friday but coaches were actually pretty cool about that so you know we could head down to the beach do what we had to do and still be back for an afternoon lift or something like that it was pretty sweet wow now you
2: see the campus now which is like you got the the big stadium or big dorms against next to the stadium you got like mm-hmm. there's like it's everything is filled now I, I can, my dad to went to school there he's like there was nothing there at fight. it was all just, right. just land no, now it, it was, it's was like,
0: air, it was an airfield yeah. that that they decided to turn into a school yeah yeah yeah, no, I
2: mean,
1: listen, when, when
2: I go down now and
1: I go down to see a game or I'm bringing my family down, you know, just to look around or we're going to football practice or basketball practice, It, my kids are the prototypical, like, like, uh, oh, come on, dad. Like, we've heard this a thousand times because I just can't help myself. I'm like, oh, my God, none of this was here. Look at that. I was like, this used to be that. And yeah. it's like a completely different world.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing about FIU. It's always getting bigger too. You you can't look at the skyline of FIU and not see a giant construction crane somewhere there. That's just how it is these days.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty exciting though. That's you know yeah. I I know a lot of people that have have come through FIU in and around the time where I came through it, and just it, there's so much pride associated with coming from FIU and. When they get a chance to come back, because the brochures and stuff don't do it justice. But when they come back and they actually see it and they're walking around, I mean, yeah, it's. it's,
3: Yeah, Raja. So, you know, your first season with the Panthers, it was 1997. It was you and Carlos Arroyo. You guys immediately hit it off. I mean, you guys were the top two scorers on the team. You guys ended up going 21 and eight. And you guys were 13-0 and record at home. It was the best record, I think, still stands to this day in school history. So, you know, I think the main question would be just what made that team so special that, I mean, still to this day holds the record for the most wins in program history?
1: Yeah, well, well I mean, I think it's pretty unique uh, for a mid-major like FIU at the time. We were the Trans-American Athletic Conference. So, like, yeah, you know, at that time, I think it was really rare that you had an NBA backcourt as you as you're starting backcourt. And so, you know, that didn't hurt. Um, but then we just had great pieces around. Like we had a lot of guys that could really really play at a high level and knew what they were doing. We had complete buy-in. Um, and you know, it, it took us a while to get on the same page. I mean, we were we weren't um it wasn't a seamless transition. There were guys that were there at the beginning of camp or at the beginning of school that didn't wind up sticking around and we had to weed you know, some people out and fill some people in. But uh, the reality was we were a really tough group with a lot of bases covered, a lot of different skill sets. Uh, we were really versatile defensively before that became a thing. Um, you know, like I play the four to the one defensively at the time. Carlos could play one through three, um, you know, at least, you know, defensively he was he was able to. He was more of a one, obviously, on offense. But, but we just had a lot of versatile pieces that allowed us to do some things that People weren't ordinarily doing at the time. And, uh, you know, we should have been a tournament that team that year. We lost to College of Charleston, um, at College of Charleston, in a just incredible atmosphere of, of, a, of a gym to play in. They were perennially a top 25 team at that time. And I was the reason. I just did not play well in that game. It was an ESPN game. I was super jacked. I had a lot to prove, you know, or at least I thought I did to the people up at BU and, I wanted this was our first big televised game and I laid an egg and we should have beat them. We beat them at home that year and I just didn't play well.
3: I wanted to ask you before Johnny goes, uh, You so you would kind of say that that 1997, ninety eight team was kind of ahead of its time in terms of what you guys were doing at the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, at least defensively we were, I mean, offensively we were running stuff that a lot of people were running. Um, we, we did get up and down though more, you know, Carlos, Carlos had this, this lack of structure for a better way to for lack of a better way to put it in his game it was a good thing right because sometimes you know you come over you get into high school and you become like hey we got to come down and run this set type of point guard and you're over you know monopolizing it and slowing the game down well Carlos hadn't been here playing in high school so much so he didn't have that so we got out and ran a lot more than teams were doing at the time right so you know, there's a lot of footage of of us just getting it off there and flying down. And Carlos is throwing a lob from half court. And one of us is just coming in, crashing, you know, catching a, a dunk on somebody. And so we were, again, more paced than a lot of teams, you know, in the country. But we also had this flexibility defensively. I mean, our biggest guy was Darius Cook. He's about 6'8", 6'9", or Carell Rosario, who's probably 6'8", 6'9". But, you know, Darius, again, while he played the five for us, him and anthony harris who's one of my good friends who's six eight like these guys were swiss army knives they could move they could switch they could be you know guarding your two or your one in a pick and roll and so we were able to do some things like that that, that was ahead of its time in some regard yeah.
2: yeah and i was gonna hit on Raja. i mean first of all i would love i wish there was like footage then because like i feel like it's so hard you know find the, those highlights from Max. those days it is but i was going to say uh you talked about you know you, you beat you beat Penn State. You beat Alabama. The Michigan we'll talk a little bit later. But obviously, it feels like then it was maybe diff, more difficult to beat those P5 teams. You had to really schedule them specifically. But what was it like for for you guys to be able to have the confidence to you know beat those P5 schools? I, I know you know maybe those teams. I think Michigan wasn't great that 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 year. But what was yeah. it like to really have the confidence of being a team that high caliber with all those talented players?
1: Well, we that's I mean. It was very cool that first of all Shaky what it was selling point for a lot of us that we were gonna go out and try to schedule that because again, a lot of us were that shit, you know, on our shoulder every day. And so, you know, Shake guaranteed us, you know, he was in alignment with that and that's what we were gonna do. And so I mean, we came into your building, I mean, foolishly in some cases, but we weren't afraid. Like we were trying to we were trying to beat you. Like they had us in the preseason at NIT one year. We played North Carolina at North Carolina. Now we got popped pretty good, but we weren't, I mean, we weren't afraid to be there. We thought we should be there, you know? And so, I mean, we had played Michigan the year prior up at Chrysler, I think. And it was a really good ball game and they escaped and they were really good that year. They had, you know, Robert Trailer and Macy O'Bastin and, and uh, uh, Jawan, I forget his name, but they, they had a bunch of five-star McDonald's All-Americans and they might've beat us by eight, but it was, it was a tight game. We had played, you know, we had played people really tough. So if we saw you the second time it were silly enough to give us another game. And we felt really good about, about our chances the second time. But it was just a mentality. We were we were we're young and dumb and and, and had chips on our shoulders.
0: Mm. So a rivalry and and again, I, I, I find it funny that you mentioned earlier that that the University of Miami did not want to play FI, FIU. That's the, that's kind of hilarious to me. But a rivalry that has been going on for decades. In Hold on. Let me, hey,
1: I don't mean to interrupt. Let me tell you why, though. Let me tell you why. Okay. For, for a couple reasons. Well, first of all, shaky talked a whole lot of mess. Given any opportunity to do so, like he was calling them out of their name because he was trying to goad them into getting this game. My dad worked at University of Miami when I grew up. He was, and so when I was at FIU, he was an assistant. He was an associate athletic director. there. So wow. I actually thought I was going to go to Miami. or Hamilton had in his office, and he told me he had, you know, I could come there, but he had five pros, he told me. And I, and I wasn't one of them. So if I wanted to come, I could come. But he didn't see me as one of the pros he had on his roster. So that's OK. It's fine. Not a problem. So you know, we, I, I, my recruitment was open again. And then, you know, other schools came in. And then lastly, we played with those guys almost every day. Whether, you know, mostly it was at University of Miami. So we'd hop in the car, you know, once once we were done over at FIU and you know, we'd hit what, eight eight twenty six down to Miller and we were on Miami's campus by the time pickup started that afternoon. And it'd be their five against our five. And these were some physical dog fights of pickup games. Like some days literal fights out, but it was to a point where, you know, it wouldn't make sense. There was nothing to gain for them playing us. And they knew because we were in their gym every day how we
0: got down. So
1: not saying that we definitely would have beat them, but it wasn't worth their time. Mm-hmm.
0: Did anyone ever record those pickup games? Do you know? Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody was in
1: there with the old VCR, man. But you
0: know, I would have wanted to have seen those too. Wow. Well, the usual the usual suspects when it comes to uh, a rival with, um, against FAU is FAU now, yeah. and and that's a team that you matched up quite a bit, um, pretty much as cons- consistently as FIU does these days. We play them twice a year. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen anymore because the Owls are are heading out from Conference USA. But what was the what was the atmosphere like at those FIU v FAU games, and and how does it compare to? to recent years where it feels like the rivalry has sort of died down because of how, I hate to say it, how dominant FAU in basketball has become.
1: Yeah. Well, when we were – there were big rivalries when I was in school. There were um, – you know, I think our second largest crowd would be, would be, you know, FAU in my time there. Like at Michigan we sold it out. Like it was mm-hmm. incredible. It was just the craziest game I'd ever been to at FAU. But uh, a close second would be, you know, homecomings when FAU would come to town. And, um, you know, those were cool because, you know, you knew those guys. They weren't as close to you as University of Miami guys, so you didn't lock horns with them every day or every week. But you knew them, and you'd see them in pro and you'd try to measure yourself against them in the summertime. But but um, you really got your real good look at them those two times a year, and and it meant something to, to both schools. And I, th- I think we had them for homecoming both years. I don't know that we lost to them, but we those were big games for us. Mm, Wow.
3: Yeah. So just kind of going to 1998, 1999, just despite, you know, the 13 and 16 record that following year where you guys went 21 and a, you guys still beat the Michigan Wolverines in the first game of the season. As you mentioned, that was probably one of, you know, it still stands to this day as the largest crowd ever seen at Ocean Bank as a convocation center. Uh, You know, just that atmosphere raja just how was it just playing a team like michigan which at the time and still to this day is just the powerhouse in in college basketball yeah
1: Yeah. no that was that was i mean really exciting it had been on our calendar obviously we trained all we trained all summer to uh to uh prepare for them we um it was like our giant for that year now we didn't we didn't know what kind of team they were coming in with but i had got my thigh bruised i didn't even think i was gonna play in that game i got knee in my thigh um, like three days before the game. I couldn't even like bend my, my, my quad and luckily, you know, I got treatment on it and was able to move it. And, and I was able to play in that game. Cause that would have been really, really tough. Had I not been able to play, but it was an incredible environment. I remember after we beat them, we, um, we had to go check into a hotel because, you know, we had a very weird schedule that year and you kind of alluded to the record. Like we played Michigan and then played the next night at home again against a really good tournament team in Northern Arizona. Um, and and so we had to go check into a hotel after the Michigan game. We had to stop by our rooms to grab our gear. And I remember getting back to the room after the Michigan game, um, opening the door. And I was weird because the door was open. And there was a party um, already in our living room <laughs> the Various items that people would drink out of stuff was going on, and it was crazy. We couldn't hang out because we had to play the next day. But like that's how excited the campus was at the time because we had just beat Michigan, and then we, you
0: know, had to get on the bus and go to the hotel. Wow. Well, um, so let's let's move on to your time in the in the in the professional leagues, yeah. and uh, we can't get in, into the NBA immediately because again, a fact that a lot of people might not know is that you began your professional c- career with the uh Yakima Sun Kings of of the CBA, the Continental Basketball Association. So, what I, what I would like to know from your time there is is what did you learn um at at Yakima that helped you prepare for the next step into the NBA?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Jake, but what what even fewer people would know is that before I played in the CBA, I was drafted into the USBL. Tampa Bay Windjammers, which was a summer pro league um, for guys that would play in the CBAs and stuff like that. So you would have a chance to maybe spark a little interest before training camp started for NBA teams. And so that league was very, very tough. I mean, we would load into like, we'd fly to to, let's say Washington and you play like four games. You play Washington and then you play two teams in Jersey and you play a team in Pennsylvania. So you get off the 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 plane in Washington, and you'd get in like three mid-sized vehicles with these six, five to six eight guys, and you drive and you play. And then you get into New Jersey after the game at like 1 a.m. And then like at eight, somebody would come around because I was the rookie and they would drop off this garbage bag full of everybody's like socks and jocks and uniforms and tights and all of that. And so I'd have to go sit in the laundromat and go buy some detergent and wash everyone's clothes, wait for them to wash, then put them in the dryer, dry them, grab lunch, come back, hand them out, go play, then drive to the next city. And I'd have to do that on every stop. So that was a very, very good like start for me in retrospect. I mean, first of all, I didn't care at the time because I was just playing basketball and that was kind of my dream. right? I wasn't making any money, but it didn't matter. I didn't have any bills to pay. Um, but then I got to the CBA and things were a, a little nicer in the CBA. Like we were you know we were on buses now we weren't crammed into these smaller cars we had someone doing our laundry for us like there was an actual arena um we lived in a best western um where you had your own room with a mini fridge like th- this was a step up and so i learned a lot in terms of playing and what it takes to you know prepare to be a pro and what it takes to you know play pick and roll and and space the floor like all of those things are great but what i give those leagues the most credit for is giving me a real appreciation for what i had when i was in the nba because i saw a lot of guys come back down um to the cba or or i saw a lot of guys when i would get to the nba that just didn't appreciate you know what what some of us were doing and how hard we were working and what we would give to be in the nba And so um you know that was the, you know i made great friends there too and i had great coaches and we won a championship and i was all rookie team like all of those things were great but the best part of that for me was was understanding like how difficult this is how many people want to do this how many people you know are willing to sacrifice to do it and if i thought that i deserved it more than any of them then i had way more work to do like You know, like sometimes you can feel entitled, like, hey, you're good. You know, I was in Hawks camp, and, you know, they told me they'd keep me if they had a spot. But, you know, the reality was this was a grown man league with a bunch of professional basketball players who may or may not have sniffed the NBA already, and all of us were fighting each other to get back there. And it put some perspective on how difficult that would be and what I needed to do in terms of committing myself to get it.
3: After your time with uh, Yamaka, You went to the San Antonio Spurs. You signed with them. Unfortunately, you got cut, never played a game with them. Then you went to the 76ers, where you actually spent two seasons with them. That's where your NBA journey began. Just what was the whole mindset during that time, you know, signing with the Spurs, just getting cut, and then just the the emotions of all of that to then just finally go with uh, Philadelphia and, you know, kind of set your NBA journey there?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a crazy story, man, because I I tell this story to kids when I go to camps. Like I I went to San Antonio um, and I just wasn't ready. Like the reality was they were doing high level stuff offensively and, and, and playing in a way that, that I had never really seen before and indoctrinating me into that in a training camp wasn't realistic. So, you know, they had to cut me. I know they liked what I had and, and could see that there was something there, but I just wasn't ready to help them. They were a championship level team at that point. So, yeah. you know, I went back to the CBA to Yakima and I, I fractured my leg and then the CBA folded while you know, I was out there. And so I had to figure out how to get home. I had to get a plane ticket home and I had rehabbed for like two and a half months and I wasn't playing. So I went back to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to play for um, an IBL team or an IBA team uh, and try to rehab. And before I could play a game there, I was sitting with two of my good buddies um, and I got a call from the 76ers. It was, it was uh, Tony DeLeo was their general manager at the time. And he said, Pepe Sanchez, had gotten traded, but wasn't traded back in time to make the playoff roster. They needed a spot, and I was the guy. So I went, and I asked them. I was like, hey, man, you, I got to know because I haven't played, and there are a lot of dudes cooking in these leagues right now. Like, what? Why? And they're like, well, Greg Popovich is Larry Brown's best friend. Um, Greg Popovich loved you. He thought you were a great kid. He thought you were, like, the consummate pro. Everybody in camp, you know, thought you were a great kid, and, and he told Larry that if we ever got a chance that we should take we should take it on you. And so that was a pretty cool story, like, because, I mean, I love to tell kids this because you get so wrapped up in what you're doing on the court and how many numbers you're dropping and, you know, how many assists you have and stuff like that. And none of that really mattered. I mean, what really mattered to Larry Brown was that his friend, Greg Popovich, thought I was a good dude. And that's what got me – that's what got me my call-up to the Sixers.
2: And then after, you know, the stint with Philly, then goes, you go to Dallas and then you go to Utah. And that's where, you know, you start to take off your career – average over, a 10, around over 11 points a game. How did you feel in that time with, with, with Utah and then eventually going to Phoenix where people you know as, but talk about that time in Utah where you kind of saw your you know your career kind of going up and up and up.
1: Yeah, Utah was great for me. I mean, I had only ever been asked to defend. I played on some great teams. And at that time, that's kind of my role on a great team was to just defend. Like Steve Nash and and, and Dirk and, and Michael Finley shoot it and I defend. Uh, Allen Iverson shoots it and I defend. But this team had just lost... Uh, Carmelo Malone and John Stockton and Car went to the Lakers and Stock retired. I reunited with Carlos Arroyo, which was really helpful for me. Um, and Jerry Sloan, very much like shaky, got rest, both of them. They, he liked my brand of crazy. Um, and he kind of allowed me to feel very comfortable in doing what I did. And so in the absence of all those great players, there were more shots on the table that allowed me to, you know, have more offensive responsibility and spread my wings a little bit. And I just felt really comfortable in my own skin in Utah. I still do. Like Utah is a place that my wife and I visit a lot. Um, we still got a lot of friends out there. That fan base, for, for whatever reason, was one that, that related to me in a way that was weird. But I felt really comfortable and really at home. And quite frankly, I wanted to stay there. I was really – I had every intention to, to stay in Utah. It's where I wanted to be. Um, it just didn't work out. I worked out that Steve Nash and Phoenix—you know—I had history with him in Dallas, and they came knocking.
0: Wow. Well, a- after those two um, very productive seasons with the Jazz, you joined the Phoenix Suns, which at the time were were one of the best teams in the NBA. They they, they had a roster that that included the likes of, of Steve Nash, Sean Marion, and Amari Stoudemire. So. Yeah what was it like to play for a team that was that talented while still making as big an impact as you did you, you put up almost 15 points a game
1: i you know it was it was an incredible ride i had no i had no expectation going into it really i mean i had come from utah where i was averaging i don't know 11 13 my second year or something like that I and mean, i didn't i didn't know but so I thought maybe I'd be sixth man, seventh man. This is a step up in terms of team. We didn't make the playoffs as, as as a jazz team. So naturally I'm going to have to take a step back. And then when I got there, Joe Johnson had taken a a, a, a nice contract in, in Atlanta. And Mike D'Antoni was, said, hey, listen, Joe's not here. And and uh, Quentin, Quentin Richardson's not here. We have, I don't know, he said 300, 400 three-pointers vacated. I need you to shoot 200 of them. And I was like, what? I said, Brother, I, I shot like eighty threes last year. There's no way I can shoot 200 threes. But he just went about like in Mike's way and only way Mike can do it, just empowering me and instilling like, you know, this level of confidence in me that just bolstered my own confidence in me. And every time I didn't shoot, he would be in my ear about shooting it. And so, you know, before you knew it, I was I was starting and I was knocking down all these threes. And then I just felt like, you know, it was much mine as it was anybody else's, you know? So like, you know, I, obviously I wasn't stats, Steve or, or tricks, but we all felt a level of ownership for that team. We all had these roles that we played on it and Mike and those stars were great at allowing us to do that. And so it was, it that was a special time. My son, my son, two sons were born out there. Um, you know, we got, I think we got robbed a couple of times. There were some things that that happened to be a suspension that, that, they kind of hamstrung us, but those were great times and really cool offenses to play to play in. Just
3: mm-hmm. before Johnny goes, I want to ask you quickly that rival the rivalry with the Lakers. You guys obviously met in the playoffs. You had the Spurs. Just what were those battles like? You know, just being in the thick of it there, basically playing for an NBA finals. At the time, those were the top three teams in the league: the Suns, Lakers, and um and the uh Spurs.
1: Yeah, yeah, those were. I mean, the, the West was loaded. It was a gauntlet trying to get out of that. I mean, the Clippers were even really, really good then with Brandon, Cayman and Catino, and Corey McGetty, and Sam Cassell. Like there, the, we were. It was loaded. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Kobe is 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 one of the goats, right? Like he's a Mount Rushmore type of player. I'm, you know, playing him was as challenging as playing anybody ever for me. Um, but I always relished the opportunity to do it. I always, I always felt like. If I thought I was good at what I did, then you know I got I gotta play the best at at what juxtaposes that. And so if I'm gonna defender and and he's a scorer, then let's get it. Let's see what happens. And you know I I never was under the the, the misconception that I was gonna be able to stop him, but I was gonna be there to fight him. And and yeah. and hopefully at the end of the day, he would say, "Hey, man, like good job." Like, "Hey, you did a damn good job." Like, and sometimes that's what it is, you know, like try to tell kids this, you'll win some, you'll lose some. But if the person you're competing against leaves that game and they feel like they just went through a warp, then that you could, I mean, I can sleep at night, you know? And so, you know, that was cool. The Spurs were always kind of kryptonite for us. Like they just had one more answer than we did a lot of times. And some of that was bad luck. Some of that was, uh, you know, self-inflicted. And then some of that was just them being a championship team that just continued to do that over the course of time. Um, you know, I thought our best chance to win it was my first year with Phoenix. And Mari was out, but we had gone seven with the Clippers. We had gone seven with the Lakers after being down 3-1. And they, I, we were really thin. Tim Thomas was playing great. You know, I was playing well. Boris was playing well. And in game one against the Mavericks, I, I felt a pop late in the game, like right before overtime started in my calf. I thought somebody had hit me with a cup of ice or something, and it wound up being I I had torn my calf. So we just didn't have enough bodies. We wound up losing to them. I sat two games and came back. I think we lost in six. That's the year that D-Wade and and Shaq won the championship. Yeah. The crazy part was we had beaten the Heat by 25 full times that year. So we felt really good that if we could just get through Dallas – it would have been a championship because at the time Shaq couldn't get up and down with us. And, you know, it's just another one of those bad breaks that we, we kept catching.
0: Well, so, something I've heard a lot of former NBA players say in, in, in interviews and whatnot is that uh, they feel insecure about their future in the league as, as one day you could be on a team and, and then the next you're on a brand new team at the drop of a hat. And in this case, this, that happened to you after your time in Phoenix, when all of a sudden you became a member of the Charlotte, I was about to say Hornets, Bobcats, yeah. the the Charlotte Bobcats. So I, I'd like to know how difficult it is, the, the process of, of joining a new team that all of a sudden has a different culture and a different game plan to the one that you, you were used to.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a really interesting question because You know, it happens so fast, like you're you're traded and you have 48 hours to report. And so like those type of things are usually hashed out, you know, in a training camp or over a summer where you can kind of feel your way around and see how you fit in and develop the relationships. And you just don't have that opportunity when you get traded midseason. So it's like, hey, you know, so for instance, I got traded when we were in L.A. going to play the Lakers right before I got on the bus. And I was like, my head was spinning because I was literally about to get on the bus to go play the Lakers. And so my wife had just given birth um, to my second son, Ty. He was probably a month old and we had just opened a business in Phoenix. So now you know, on top of what you're talking about with getting to this new team, you know, they're like, hey, you got 48 hours to go home, get whatever you can get, and then you need to be in Charlotte. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, how the hell is my wife going to handle all of this with two kids under the age of two years old? we got to shut a business. We have to pack up a house. She's got to handle these two kids, and they got to get all of our stuff and get to Charlotte. And then, yes. you know, that was her, hers, and I was worried about that. And then I had mine where I'm living in a hotel. I'm trying to make these relationships on the fly. I had some experience with Larry Brown because I played for him in Philly. Um, I kind of knew what he wanted to do offensively, but – with some new wrinkles in it. And so I'm trying to feel my way through that. I had Boris the aisle with me that helped. Um, I'm learning, you know, everybody I'm learning the city. And at the same time, I'm out house hunting in between playing in these games and going to practice. So like there really is, and there are no complaints, right? Because we're getting paid great to do it, but it's really, really more difficult than it, than the average fan would, would think when your favorite player gets traded from X to Y, like it, there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, luckily, most teams have infrastructure set up to support. And they've got realtors and they have people that will help you get where you need to go. And And Charlotte was very good and very helpful in that. But it, it can be a very stressful time, not just for the player, but for their family. Yeah.
3: So after your stint with Charlotte, you joined the Warriors. And coincidentally, you were there with Stephen Curry for his rookie year. You yeah. were, you know, kind of when they were building what was now a dynasty, you know, in today's day. Just – you know, at the time, when you when you look back, did it ever cross your mind that Curry would be just the player he is today? And not only Curry, but just that organization turned into what it is today where they just won God knows how many championships.
1: Well, no, it didn't. A short answer. I mean, you know, Del Curry was on the broadcast when I was in Charlotte. And that's when Steph Curry was doing what he was doing at Davidson. So I would frequently, and he was from Charlotte, and so I would ask Dell and, and talk to him about his son all the time. Like, I was a fan like anybody else was, and I'd ask him, you know, like how he was doing and what was he thinking and where do you think he was going to go. And and so then I got traded there, and I, and I got to know him a little bit. Like, Steph, I would tell my kids, Steph, Steph Curry was one of my rooks. I Man, he used to give me beignets when we were on the yeah. road. Like we'd send him out to Cafe Du Monde and he'd get us coffee and beignets. Um, but he was a – you could tell he was a pro's kid because – you know, some guys in the league can think that they're too good for that, and 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 they don't understand the natural like kind of rite of passage that takes place. Steph was never a problem with any of that, but he had moments where you could see that there was something really, really special there. But it was his rookie year, you know. And so, you know, I wasn't around as much. I had torn uh, a ligament in my wrist, but I would see him, and you could you'd be like, wow. And I'd look over it. You know, Devin George was one of the other vets on the team, and I'd look at him like, "What the heck?" And he'd just kind of nod at me like, "Yeah, dude, I I told you. There's yes, there's something there." But I couldn't have imagined just because he's been this transcendent player, like he's revolutionized the game. I, I'd be lying if I said that I. And this organization, while they were good when I was there, they weren't what they are now. Like that's a that's they've done a they've done a very 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 good job out there in terms of. Uh, you know, building it and and really sustaining it over the last decade
0: wow well kevin i, I think it's time for a break a, yeah. a a news break if you will so uh without further ado this is the pause podcast news break where we of course take a dive into some of the latest stories in fiu flakes and just fiu in general so Let's start off with softball, who recently announced that they would be participating in the Conference USA Tournament against the five-seed Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. That game um, is tomorrow, Wednesday, May the 10th at 3.30 p.m. All games will take place in Ruston, Louisiana, home of Louisiana Tech. The softball team finishes the regular season with a 24-26 and record, um, 10-14 and in the conference, 17-14 and at home, and are coming off a three-game winning streak, a sweep against the UTEP minors. So, of course, we wish the best of luck to the softball team in the upcoming tournament. Now let's move on to football. While the turnaround for transfers has slowed down just a bit, uh, their secondary has just gotten a new piece with the addition of A.J. Brathwaite Jr., a redshirt redshirt junior uh, transfer from Western Kentucky. Now, AJ has shown glimpses of success during his time with the Hilltoppers, uh, recording 17 tackles during his time there. Excuse me while I get some uh, information here. Okay. Um, while he had set out a few games last season due to uh, injury, um, AJ brings experience to FIU's defensive backfield, which unfortunately they, they, they lost a big time player in that of Demetrius Hill not that long ago. So we of course wish um aj the best of luck during his upcoming time here and and as as kevin as kevin just uh just reminded me only like a, a little bit ago they also announced they have added quarterback Sh- shaden Peary um earlier today a transfer from georgia tech um who most recently was a former uh juco player he did not play with georgia tech in that year but again it's it's always nice to have um, a fierce quarterback battle. Of course, we had Grayson Janes on the show not that long ago, and I'm sure he'll be interested to see what um, Shaden Peary will bring to the FIU quarterback um, position. Finally, the FIU College of Medicine recently achieved a very impressive milestone. On the 10-year anniversary of the program, they just graduated their 1,000th doctor. The, que- the doctor in question is Jessie Lamonta, who did not know at the time she would be the thousandth graduate as seating was first come, first serve. The class of 2023 is three and a half times larger than the original class. And the graduation comes after the announcement that FIU is partnering with Baptist Health to form an academic health care system that would serve Miami-Dade and Broward County. So congrats to the Herbert Wartime College of Medicine. And that was your FIU news break so Raja again thank you so much for being on with us it's again it's super awesome to have our first professional athlete on the show unfortunately our good friend Billy Gill's legs just couldn't just couldn't give in when he was when he was a track star for FIU so unfortunately we, we he could not be our first professional athlete but let's get into some rapid fire questions here um so you're still, as you mentioned earlier, you're still involved with FIU. You, you go to sports events, you go to you go to other things on campus. We've seen you at the bank at the uh, Ocean Bank Competition Center from time to time. Uh, just what what are your overall thoughts on on stay the campus these days? You know what's the go to place to grab a meal and and just what what's your favorite event to go visit here?
1: Well, grabbing a meal, I'm old school, man. I like the Taco Bell right over there on the corner, man. That's, that was, uh, <laughs> hey. man. That's my spot. Um, but you know, I love coming around to the campus, man. I like I like to, uh, you know, I like to come catch football games and practices. I've been to basketball games and practices. Uh, new athletic director Scott Carr and and uh, Joe Corr over there are, are are great, man. They're they're they make sure that um, you know if there are things that that people want to attend, that we we're up to date on what's going on and and when we could come check out a game or a practice and stuff like that. And that that's been really awesome. I, I love to show my kids the campus. My wife is a former Golden Panther. She was a, a, a women's soccer player at FIU. So she too has a lot of interest in seeing what's going on around and and uh the new buildings and 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 things like that. So we're around as much as we can be. I mean, we live, you know, a little ways up the road, so it's not as easy, but anytime we get a chance, we're down. Mm-hmm.
3: So as we were talking kind of before we started, you mentioned about your son, Diabel, who received an offer for FIU. I think it was his first D1 offer to play for FIU. And obviously, you know, still time left for him to make that decision. But, you know, how big would it be for you to have, you know, your son, Dia play for FIU, which was your alma mater, and just kind of follow the footsteps kind of just the the collegiate way where he goes to FIU, where where you you used to go?
1: Yeah, I mean – I've I've lived a, a, a lot of dreams. I mean I've lived more dreams than most people should, but if if Dia were to play at FIU, I think, you know, for my wife and I, my wife was a better college player than I was. So um for the two of us together. Oh, no, really. She was player of the year in the in the tech and all of that stuff. So she was really good. Um, I think for both of us that would that would just be like living another dream. Um, he's young. He's he's just a freshman. Um, he's got a great relationship with Coach Mike Mack and the quarterback coach, Coach Yost. Um, they they've, they've been really cool. And and uh, you know we we just we think the world. Of FIU. I love what they're doing with the program. And if Dia were ever blessed enough to be able to play at a school like FIU, and wear that uh I don't know what do they call it now? Blue and low. Like Blue what? Blue and Yeah. Blue and gold. I mean like. That would be super dope, man. It would it would pretty undescribable, you know, to you guys. I mean, it would be like living in a dream. Mm.
2: That's really awesome. But I was also going to add kind of another similar story about I think a week, two weeks ago. FI Hoops they picked up a guy in the transfer portal, Jonathan Ibar, I- and you yeah. played with his father, Ramona Ibar. I'm looking to that. I think he's the first ever second generation FIU basketball player. So what's that? How cool is that to see that happening here at FIU, getting you know last name that's you played with.
1: Yeah, Ramon. Ramon was one of our teammates. Our group texts were buzzing um, when I saw that. Like, I caught it on Twitter and I shot it out. Like, it was yeah. pretty awesome, man. That's a really, really cool thing. I know Ramon's got. I lost touch with Ramon, but I know he'd be super excited. And and uh, you know that. Look, it, it, you know those 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 are you know that's like a legacy kid, right? Like his dad was a big part of some really good teams, and if he can hoop and and he can add value to it, I mean. I just think that's great. Like it, it's pretty cool for Ramon. I'm sure it's great for the kid. Um, and I think it's, it's great for FIU.
2: Can add to that, you know, the athletic department has, has grown and you talked about it, Scott Carr, and what he's done in the year has been so much. What, what have you thought about what he's done with the this whole athletic department? And really it's been night and day, um, you know, when he stepped here last year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I met Scott um, right when he got there at a football practice um, last year and you know, he was super nice and and he came over and we started chopping it up and I was just picking his brain curiously to see like what his vision was and, and how, you know, he, he saw FIU getting from where it is to where it wanted it to go. And I was blown away and impressed um, by by first of all, what, what he thought it could be. And then secondly, with with what with the resources and the support. That he was going to drum up and and put into getting it there, right? And so, you know, I, as I've watched from then to now, he's just done exactly what he said he was going to do, and I think they're on the right track. I think um, you can see it unfolding right before your eyes. I, the job's not done, um, but but it's trending. And as former FIU Panthers and and alumnus out there, like we're all really excited and fired up about it.
2: And I know you've been to a couple of basketball games this year. I want to ask you, I know you take your brain a little bit. What current basketball player on this program kind of reminds me of your style of play?
1: Man, I mean, yeah, I don't know who reminds me a lot. They're all much better than I was. I mean, these people <laughs> are, are so skilled. I mean, I really like the kid Arturo Dean. Like, he's a really good yeah. for flying around the court, skilled, physical, tough like, you know, I, I enjoy watching that style of play. But, you know, all of those guys are way more skilled than I than I ever was. So, you know, it was just cool to come down and watch and support them and get to meet those guys. You know, I got to go to a practice. My, my middle son, Ty, is a pretty good little basketball player. Um, maybe he'll get to play at FIU one day. But <laughs> maybe. He's, he's talking mm-hmm. really great. He played varsity at Pines Charter as a seventh grader this year. So he's pretty good. Um, but I brought him down to a practice one, one time with, with Dia and – those guys were so nice to us and, and the coaches were so inviting and it was really cool to meet them. And then obviously to see them, you know, playing and, and representing and putting on for FIU is, is dope too. Yeah. Uh,
2: who's up? Oh, wait,
0: uh, Kevin, you're, you're up.
3: I am up. So, very, so now these are going to be a lot faster going questions just very quickly. You know, who, who was the funniest team that you've had in your college career if it's NBA or or college, just who, who's that guy who just kind of makes you guys just crack up and, and laugh?
1: Um, so that's a great question at FIU. Um, probably my buddy Gene Durkak. Um, he's probably in the we had some clowns though, but you know, Gene was really funny. Um, in the NBA, it's Eddie House. Eddie House was uh, he could have a reality show, I mean, he could do a sketch comedy show or something. Eddie House is great. <laughs> And then
3: just going on, you know, you played for so many teams, now you're retired. You can maybe choose that one team that you're rooting for nowadays. Just do you have a team or do you just kind of just maybe fall around the league?
1: Yeah, it's tough for me because I, I cover the league now and I mm-hmm. and I talk to the hoops. And so you know, while I am partial to certain teams, like it, it's really hard for me to pull for them because I have to try to call call it how I see it and and have an opinion on it so i mean i'd be lying like in situations like denver phoenix if i said I, I wasn't slightly pulling for phoenix you know or you know if utah gets into something i'll pull for them a little bit but for the most part i just like to watch good basketball and i try to stay
0: impartial mm-hmm. so i am i i'm a massive jersey slash uniform buff and and i gotta know what what, what was the cleanest jersey you ever wore in the nba
1: man Cleanest jersey I ever wore in the NBA. I'm trying to think. Um, Those Golden State Warriors had some nice, some Mm. nice unis. They had some nice unis, but I think I am. I mean, that black Sixers jersey goes really hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like that black Sixers jersey goes really, really tight. They weren't doing a lot with jerseys when I was in Phoenix, but that that black Sixers jersey is probably my favorite. Mm
0: -hmm. So. And hopefully, as we bring in more more FIU alum, I, I'd like to ask them all this question. But who is in your FIU athletics Mount Rushmore? Man, can be any sport, can be a player or a coach. Um, let's see,
1: could be a player or a coach. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, that's four. I get four. How
0: about the I wife? Four.
1: Yeah, well, no, I mean, what? I mean, I'm gonna go sit on the couch in like 10 minutes. Simi yeah. Greenman is in there for sure. Uh, yeah. Bell, um, let's see. Mike, I go with TY,
0: yes, um, okay,
1: Mike Lowell, yes, um, put my wife in there for sure. That's done. <laughs> stamp, stamp, you're
3: at three, yeah,
1: and then, uh, I mean. I'd love to go with a men's hoop player like Carlos Arroyo or myself or or Dwight. Uh, but I might go with
0: Cindy Russo. Okay,
2: yeah, that's yeah, yeah. A legend. That's a legend. Yeah, that is, hey, that that is an on,
0: elite pick right there. Yeah, so, you. so l- last thing here, Raja. And again, thank you so much for spending for spending your time with us. And again, to all the fans watching on either our Twitter page or on the uh, Lemon City Facebook page, we we've hope you've been having a blast. Um, i'd like to give i'd like to give a shout out of course to your own your own podcast the real ones from uh from the ringer that of course you you can, you can catch on 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 Rajah's twitter or or just follow um uh the ringer as well and and you've you've been knee-deep covering the nba uh playoffs so i i just in in, in layman's terms who do you think uh what teams do you think are advancing to the uh, to the conference finals
1: man that's a i am mean, the heat i'm taking the heat they look really okay. good I didn't, him, go. I didn't see coming i didn't see i way. think
0: the harder question is do you see the knicks winning another game
1: <laughs> yeah not maybe not honestly maybe not i wouldn't bet on i wouldn't bet on it uh so i'm gonna take the heat i'm not privy to exactly what's going on right now i think the sixers were beating boston yeah, I, I have the
0: score here. It's 73-59 in favor of Philly. Five minutes to go in the third. Wow, so they're, they're putting the work on Boston right they're now. Putting,
1: but they're taking them to the woodshed. So I look if the Sixers win this game, I'm taking the Sixers to win that series. So mm-hmm. then I'm looking at Sixers Heat. Uh, unfortunately, I think I think that's the end of the road for the Heat. I take the Sixers in the next round, and then okay. I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Denver and the Lakers. Okay. Yeah, and that's tough for me. But even though Golden State looked good, they just they keep fumbling the bag. They there's, you know, Steph's not getting the help that he needs, and I don't know that Devin Booker. I mean, I love that. You know, I just told you I pull for the Suns in some situations like this. But yeah, he's on a historic offensive pace. Like, and and I don't think that supporting cast plays the same way on the road in Denver. So I'm going to take Denver,
0: Um,
1: and then I'll probably take the Lakers to beat Denver.
0: So your finals matchup is Philly in Los Angeles, and uh, maybe it's yeah. way too early to make a prediction because because the rosters could change, players could get injured. We hope not, but if it's a best of seven between Philly and LA, who do you who 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 you got?
1: Man, that's it. Listen, if I'm getting, if I'm getting this James Harden right. If I'm getting the James Harden that showed up to the tune of forty plus points in both games, it's a much tougher decision for me. I'm I'm gonna say Lakers. Um, but but if James if James Harden is playing like that, it could be a it could be a knockdown dragout seven game series is what I would love to see anyway. So mm-hmm.
3: it is crazy, you know, like the, the the turnaround of that Lakers team how they started. They go and get D'Lo Vanderbilt, they get all these guys, and all of a sudden they, they were one of the best teams in the NBA in that second half, and it's crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: It's been yeah. really cool, and I know it's a, a really small sample size, but. But um, you know some some of the guys they're bringing in off the bench now, you know, with fresh legs that look like they've been sitting over there waiting for that opportunity. Like that is an awesome wild card to have in your back pocket yeah. in the playoffs. Um, a guy that's no one's accounting for and and can really play. And so you know, Lonnie came in last night and and even in game what was that game three like had good minutes and he, he's a player. So like I, the Lakers, the Lakers are tough. They got to get to golden state, but they're tough.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty lights out. If you ask me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lights out. Lights out. <laughs> uh, don't, 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 don't worry about that Raja. Um, <laughs> anyway. So Kevin, Johnny, um, do you have any, any, any other last minute, Questions for our our our
2: awesome guest here, Raja. No, I mean this was a blast. You know, talking, yeah. talk, chopping it up a little bit, and uh, just hearing a story—a of a guy that you know comes to FIU, balls out, and c- grinds his way in, make the NBA—and you know, awesome stories to hear of, a, you know, the great days, you know, of FIU basketball mm-hmm. in the nineties. Yeah,
3: yeah. Just a huge thank you, Raja, for for joining us. It was, it was an honor to have you and. Maybe someday, maybe soon enough, we'll, we'll get you back on soon here during uh, the hoop season for Yeah, for FIU.
0: as soon as FIU basketball, uh, their season starts, you know, got to bring you back, Raja. But until then, again, thank you so much for, for joining us and again on a very special episode. Super happy to talk some moves with you. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having me, fellas. It's a pleasure, man. Good luck to you guys. My my computer's about to die in like one second. But thank you guys so much, man. Pause wow. up.
0: Of course, We, we got this right in time then. All right, then. Thank you so much, Raja.